what I want to say to these seniors and what I want to say to everybody in here is you are going to build someone's kingdom. You're going to build your kingdom. You're going to build someone else's kingdom by becoming involved in the military, right? And we might not, you know, we're told that uh, the United States is imperialist and all these sorts of things, but we're really kind of building our kingdom, right? Uh, you may be involved in someone else's company and you're building their kingdom. Or you can be involved in building God's kingdom. So Jesus gave us a model prayer to pray. It doesn't mean that you need to repeat these exact words, but the model prayer that Jesus gave us teaches us what to think about when we pray. And I bet you know it. It's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, right? It starts out what? Our Father, who is in heaven, oh, or you might have learned King James, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Holy, holy right? You just above me. And the next term is what I want you to get. What is it? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every single person in this room should be seeking to discover what God's will is for their life and how they can participate in what God is doing. You see, so many times we make plans and we want to get God in on our plan. We've got all these dreams and ideas and desires and we say, God, I want you to come and get in on what I'm doing. And God says, no, I've got something better. I want you to get in on what I'm doing. And that's what that uh, Reader's Theater was about. Let God write your story. Really, you and I need to be in on God's story. And I will tell you, and any adult will tell you, it rarely turns out the way you think it will. It's got some crazy twists and turns. But you know, if you are at least seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seeking to build his kingdom above your kingdom, it's all going to be okay. It doesn't matter what it looks like down here because the kingdom of God is among us and the kingdom of God is within us. So how do you accomplish that? Well, you choose to be a witness, just like those witnesses we talked about over Easter. You testify to what God has done and is doing in your life. And if you don't see God working in your life, well, then that's the first thing you need to concentrate on. That's the first thing you need to focus on because God is at work. But if you're not paying attention, you might not be aware, right? So in your bulletin, if you're following along, and by the way, I have some cool new pens that I put on the back of all these seats. So there, there's still some of our old pens there, but they have hand sanitizer on them. Oh, yeah. Take the little lid off, pump it a couple of times to get it up, and you spray your hands and rub them, and then you can use that. But number one, if you're following along in your bulletin, is you will build somebody's kingdom. Number two, Who's MLK? MLK famously said, who's MLK? Martin Luther King Jr. Famously said, I have a dream. This was the most famous speech that he gave on the mall in Washington, D.C. The question is, do you have one? Do you have a dream? Now, Martin Luther King's dream was about a transformed America where his children could play with white children and they wouldn't be looked at as less. There wouldn't be, and it's kind of interesting because we come full circle and back around to a lot of racism today going both directions, but he said he wanted people to judge his children by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That is a fantastic vision is really what that is. 
Oftentimes, preachers will look at uh, the character Joseph in the Old Testament who had dreams. And they will say, oh, Joseph was a dreamer. Well, his dreams were kind of interesting. He dreamed that uh, he had a sheaf of wheat or barley, and his brothers had a sheaf of wheat or barley, and he said all of their sheaves bowed down to his sheaf. That doesn't sound like a dream you pursue, you know, as a life goal. I want to be a sheaf of wheat, and I want your sheaves to bow down to mine. No, it was God speaking to him. And then it gets even more fantastic. He said, yeah, I had a dream, and the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Even his brothers knew what that meant. They said, you think that we and mom and dad are going to bow down to you? Well, he was a cocky 17-year-old. He was receiving these dreams from God, and he didn't know what they meant. He was just enthusiastic to share them. And maybe he was kind of jabbing his brothers. But the, th the thing is, it's misused. It is abused when we say that this was Joseph's dream. This is not Joseph's dream. This is God's dream. This is God revealing what he was going to do through Joseph. So what did God do through Joseph? Well, Joseph went through a lot of difficulty. Now, I pray you don't go through any difficulty, but in all likelihood, you're going to have challenges. And you're going to go through some low points in your life. Joseph's low points were really low, right? His brothers got angry with him after he shared these dreams, and they threw him into a pit. And then they dragged him up out of the pit, and they sold him as a slave to some traveling Midianite slave traders. And then he gets uh, given to or sold to uh, this uh, man who was basically the head of Pharaoh's prisons. And uh, he works in his household and he does a really good job and he gets promoted. But then this man's wife, Potiphar is his name, is really attracted to Joseph. Apparently Joseph was quite a specimen. She's really attractive to Joseph. Joseph's a righteous man. He doesn't want to get into all that. He doesn't want to be involved with her in that way. He said, listen, my master has given me charge of all, over everything in his house. He doesn't pay attention to anything except to what he eats. The only thing he's withheld from me is you. I, I'm not going to sin against him by doing that. But she, day in and day out, she tried to wear him out. And finally, she sent everybody else away. Joseph's the only one there. And she tries to grab him. And he wrestles free from her and runs out of the house. And then she accuses him of horrible things. We're not going to say that with a bunch of children in the room but she accused him of doing terrible things to her. So Joseph gets thrown in prison. Now he's in prison for a couple of years and it's unjust. Low, 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 he gets lower and lower and lower. And while he's in prison, two of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's the emperor of Egypt, right? Two of Pharaoh's um, workers, servants come and they're thrown in prison. They have dreams, Joseph interprets their dreams. One man's dream represents the fact that he's going to be, his life is going to be taken by Pharaoh. And the other one's dream represents that he's going to be promoted. He's going to be uh, restored back to Pharaoh. That's exactly what happened. Again, these weren't their dreams that they invented. Who would invent a dream that they were going to die? Okay. These were dreams that God gave them to let them know what was going to happen. And also to demonstrate that God had given Joseph, the ability to understand these things. So Joseph tells the, uh, the cupbearer is one of the, the guy that's going to be restored. Um, back then, you had someone that tasted all of the emperor's uh, food and, and all of his wine and everything to make sure he wasn't being poisoned. They're kind of like a secret service, really, right? Might have think of him as being a chef, but really, he was kind of like a chef combined with secret service. In any event, 
Joseph knows he's going to go back in the presence of Pharaoh. He says, hey, tell Pharaoh that I am down here and it's wrong. I've been unjustly in prison. And the guy just promptly turns around and forgets. So Joseph's in jail for a while longer, another year, another two years. Finally, Pharaoh has these crazy dreams that drive him to near madness. And he tries to get people to interpret them and nobody does. And the cupbearer says, oh, I remembered. There's a guy that's in your prison that knows how to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh says, go get him. So they go and they get him, they shave him. Uh, you know, Hebrew men would wear beards. Egyptians didn't wear beards. They cleaned him up. They brought him into Pharaoh's presence. So not only did Joseph interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which I won't get into, but they meant that there were gonna be seven years of famine followed by, excuse me, there will be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And not only did he interpret those dreams, he gave Pharaoh advice. He said, now what Pharaoh should do is collect additional grain from all of the years of surplus and store them away so that people won't starve to death in the seven years of famine and put somebody in charge of that. And Pharaoh says, who better than you? So he makes this guy who is in the lowest of lowest of low places. He puts him second in command in Egypt, kind of like a prime minister, right? A manager over all of the land of Egypt. And sure enough, his dreams come true. His brothers come to get grain and they bow down to him. Wow. Now, by then, he recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He speaks Egyptian. He speaks through an interpreter. He knows everything they're saying. And at one point, they say, didn't we say that it was the wrong thing to do to our brother? Because he's really hard on them. He's really rough on them. He, t he calls them spies. He tells them they're going to have to go back uh, to Canaan and they're going to need to bring their youngest brother back, which was, by the way, his only full blood brother. And he has all these plans to kind of get back at him. But see, God worked on Joseph's heart. And in the long term, what he ended up doing is being the person that God used to save the world from starvation and save Israel, which was his family, right? His father's name was Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. The 12 sons were the 12 tribe, became the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow, fantastic story. That's all about God. That's not about Joseph's dream. Do you say, you know what? My goal is to become second in charge in Egypt and you live clear over in Canaan and you would never even be able to get an audience with Pharaoh. You don't do that. God has a plan for you and God's plan for you is better than your plan. It really, really is. So what I want is I want that dream from the Lord. Number three, the word vocation. This is a word that is a synonym for career a lot of times. But that word comes, comes from the Latin vocatio. Say vocatio. We get our word vocal from that same root. It means calling. You have a calling. You see, that's what they used to say. Discover your calling. Find out what God's calling for your life is. That's your vocation, right? So we have things that we want to do. And this doesn't mean that you shouldn't try things. In fact, that's one of the things that college should be about is taking classes in different areas that you think you might be interested in. And that should be a part of your process of asking and seeking and knocking. Finish the sentences. Ask and you shall. Receive. Seek and you shall. Fine. Knock and. Who are you asking? You're seeking, but in whose presence and who are you primarily seeking? And you're knocking, but who do you want to open the door? 
to see this is a very theocentric way of looking at life. You're going to go to your graduation, or you've already gone. Harry, when is your graduation? Thursday morning, same day? Yeah. Okay. And you're going to hear all these speeches. And by and large, these speeches will be egocentric speeches. It's all about me, my plans, my goal, what I'm going to do, my dream, right? So unlike the reader's theory that you heard up here, you would normally hear people say, no, you need to write your story. You need to be the author of your story. You need to dream your dream. You need to build your life. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God has had a plan for you since you were born. Jubilee got to do this with the, the uh, seniors because she's a fantastic reader. And she's also here every Thursday and not everybody else is. Um, <laughs> well, you know, availability is kind of important. You know what I'm saying? So I was talking to these guys about this. You can have someone that's incredibly talented, but if they never show up for rehearsals and they won't memorize their lines, there's nothing I can do with that person. Right. This is like, you know, if you, you're you're a coach, right, you might have this incredibly talented athlete on your team, but they don't want to practice. You know, they, they, they don't show up at, you know, games that they don't think are in. You know, what good is that person? Right. Or you got these prima donnas in various sports. I don't care if it's MLB or NBA or NFL. And they're such prima donnas, they can't get along with anybody on their team. Right. Like, I want to be traded. Trade me. Trade me. I don't like any of you people. You know, it's like, no, do trade them because they're probably ruining your team. So, no, these people are here. And now they've had various times when they weren't able to be, but you know, that's a little side note for you. Consistency and responsibility is absolutely essential. If you're there, then you can be put in a position of responsibility. If you're not there, then you can't, right? So it's important. But I was talking uh, to Jubilee earlier today because we were talking about when our church started and we started talking about time and then we started talking about when she was born. And I remember when her mom had told her dad and her dad told me that uh, she was pregnant with Jubilee and everything. You see, you didn't even know. And before 2010, your parents didn't even know that you were coming. But God knew. Your parents didn't know what to name you for about three days because they're so careful about that. But God knew. Now you might think I'm just talking to this 10 year old over here. No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you and you and you. God knew. You think, well, this just happened. It's just a coincidence. It's just circumstances. There ain't no coincidences in the kingdom of God. There's just providence. So you should always be looking for what the providence is in every circumstance. What's providence? It's God-ordained coincidences. I'm using coincidence the way the world... Wow, that's a coinkydink! <laughs> what I want to be saying is, what is God trying to say through that? What is God doing as the result of these circumstances? Listen, adults, you think I'm talking to 18-year-olds here? I'm not. I'm talking to you as well. There are circumstances in your life that you need wisdom from God to interpret. You need to understand what, just like Pharaoh had those dreams that he didn't know what they meant. Your circumstances are a lot like those dreams. You don't know what they all mean. Now, I'm not saying God is causing everything. There are bad things that happen in your life and God is not causing those, but God is using everything. He's put all the pieces in place to give you direction. 
So all of us need to understand that. That's important, right? So in the end, we need to have confidence, number four, that Almighty God wants to give you a hope and a future, just like he promised to give to his people Israel, even though they had been taken captive to another land. He wants to give you a hope and a future. His purpose is not to destroy you. Listen, his purpose is not to punish you. People have this very, very elementary view of God. Well, I haven't been obedient. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to do. God's just punishing me. See, the scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the punishment of God that leads us to. God wants you to change your mind and come toward him. And he does that by offering you grace and mercy. Amen? That's what God does. Now, there are consequences to our actions, right? finish the sentence, for every action there is, it kind of works that way in the moral universe too. You bring stuff on yourself. And until I bail out of that and change my heart and mind and ask God to save me, I just got to deal with the consequences of my choices. But it's not God's purpose to punish you. You need to repeat that again and again and again, because there's going to be times when you make mistakes. There's going to be times when you might willfully, foolishly rebel, but it's not God's purpose to punish you. It is God's purpose to bring you into a position where he can prosper you, where he can use you, where he can bless you. But that's going to happen when you're participating in his kingdom building enterprise, not you trying to get him in on your kingdom building enterprise. Now, one way of discovering God's will for your life is that process I talked about earlier of asking and seeking and knocking. Psalm 37.4 is uh, what I quote here in number five. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. See, you likely already know what the desires of your heart are. Now, sometimes we're ambivalent and we've been through a lot and we don't even know what we want anymore. But if you just stop, and think about it, you probably know what the desires of your heart are, and you probably realize that they're not all good. So what may need to happen is when you delight yourself in the Lord, he may need to give you new desires, but that's gonna be better. Because sometimes when we get the desires that we thought we wanted, we find out that that's really not what we wanted after all. And further, there might be this disinclination to want to do God's will because it's like, well, that's just going to be scary or that's going to be boring or, you know, that's just not me. I can remember shortly after I became a believer, um, I, I just couldn't imagine myself doing what I'm doing right now. I, I couldn't see myself as a quote unquote religious person. And I think I've probably still been running from that my whole life. You know, I don't want to be seen as this preacherly religious person. But I've come to realize that some of those things that seem religious to me are just ways of worshiping the Lord. And I just need to go about it in a, uh, an authentic way, in a genuine way, not a phony, fakey way, right? Not try to emulate other people that are worshiping the Lord in a certain way. Because God wants to give you the desires of your heart, and that may mean that he needs to give you new desires, right? Um, number six, if you call Jesus your Lord, then it is his kingdom you're here to build, not your own. So I've invited you to get involved in building God's kingdom. But now I'm going to tell you, if you've said Jesus is Lord, and that's what you've got to say to be saved, Jesus is Lord. 
That means he is the boss. He's the king. He's the one that I put in charge of my life, not me. I am the master of my ship, the captain of my soul. Not if you've said Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the captain of your ship. Jesus is the one that is in charge, not you, right? So who knows, Jacob, you might end up being in the Navy long enough and might end up being in charge of a ship or being an admiral or something. But in the end, who's in charge of you? Because whatever you're in charge of, there's somebody in charge of you. You're going to do something, in all likelihood, you're going to do something other than what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of more directly building the kingdom by trying to bring people into church and share the gospel with them or whatever. But you are just as important in that kingdom building enterprise, even if this is not what you're doing, even if you're not doing it in church. Everything you do can be part of that process of building the kingdom. Last thing Jesus said to his disciples was, as you go into the world, make disciples. As you go out on that submarine, as you get deployed, as you go to college, as you get that job, as you go, make disciples. That means you, first of all, got to be one. You've got to take that step back and say, am I following? You can't lead anybody where you're not going. You can't just say, you know what? They told me in church that the best thing to do to follow Jesus, so go that way. People are just going to say, well, I don't know. You're not going that way. I know, I know. It's too hard. But go that way. That's where you ought to go. Well, see, likelihood is you're going to lead to one degree or another. The question is, where are you leading people? Where are you going? You may just lead your kids. You may be somebody that already you can see that you have friends and, and you guys like to do things together and sometimes you take the lead in those things. You're leading people somewhere. You're pointing them in some direction. Where are you pointing them, right? You've got to be the disciple and then you're going to make disciples. You're going to bring them to church so they can be baptized. You're going to help them to learn. You're going to help teach them. You're going to show them what the Lord has taught you. You guys have been in church long enough, okay? You were the first one here. There were no other babies when we started this church. Just you. That's it. And now here you are yawning in front of me. So he's been doing it for a long time. All right. You started coming. You invited him. You invited her. Here we all are. Wow. It's a chain reaction, right? You're not here by accident. God has a purpose for you being here. He's got a purpose for your life. And fundamentally, that purpose is to get you in on what he is doing, right? So number seven, Joseph had dreams, but they were not his dreams. I jumped ahead to that one, so we'll skip to eight. Um, you don't need a high paying job or a prestigious position. You need to hear God's call on your life. That's what you need to be looking for. You see, right now, we're just... We're concerned about a lot of things. We've just come out of a, a year-long pandemic where a lot of people were thrown out of work and were relying on the government to hand them money. And, and so it's just been very difficult to pursue that old line of the American dream like we once did. You know what? It's not all bad. It's hopefully it has been an opportunity for you to trust the Lord. You trust him and he will lead you. And that's for the adults in this room as well. Again, I'm talking to these guys, but hopefully I'm talking through these guys. So in summary, three things. Number one, build God's kingdom. Get in on what God is doing. 
Number two, receive God's dreams. That's what you need to pay attention to, right? Now, that might not be something that you gain in your sleep. It just might be this dawning realization that you are called to go a certain direction. You have a vision for that. And that's the last one. Listen to God's call. These are all ways of really saying the same thing. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you might be 10, might be 18, you might be old, right? So there's this tendency to say, well, yeah, but if I do all that for God, what's in it for me? Here you go. This is what Jesus said. The disciples, well, actually, was, this was Peter that led the way and said this, said, hey, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What's in it for us? Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. How do you get a hundred times more in this life? Well, that's what the church is all about. And the church is the expression of the kingdom on earth. You see, here we are all together and we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so your family extends beyond your immediate family. Look around this room. These are your brothers and sisters. Got younger ones and older ones. And these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think this is what Jesus was talking about right here. So you don't have to worry about you. Now, here's your memory verse. It's in your bulletin. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you as well. What are these other things? Well, whatever you're worried about. Really, whatever you want, they'll be added to you as well when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So that's my message to the graduates. That's my message to all of us in here. We need to reevaluate that. 